0: Please open your Bibles at Acts 21. We're going to listen to a a reading from the actor David Suchet. It's Acts 21, starting there at verse 37 and going through to 22, verse 29. Please listen.
1: As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them, In Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord! These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul a Roman citizen in chains
0: so this morning we continue through our studies in the book of Acts and here we are in Acts 21 we left Paul last week on his way to Jerusalem and here we find what happens to him This chapter that we've had read out describes a crisis situation for Paul, and there are three things which saved Paul from certain death in this crisis situation. First of all, his ability to speak Greek. Secondly, his Jewish blood. Thirdly, his Roman citizenship. And Paul uses what we might call these natural gifts and advantages for his own purposes to save his life. The situation is that Paul is being dragged into the fortress at the northwest corner of the temple area. The Jewish crowd are baying for Paul's blood. Now, when I read this, it reminded me of what Jesus faced and what Stephen, the first Christian martyr, faced. But for both Jesus and Stephen, their situations meant death, but it was not to be so for Paul. Now, as Paul was being dragged up the steps, he spoke in the Greek language to the Roman commander, who was utterly surprised. The commander thought he'd captured a terrorist, but he had discovered that he'd got the wrong man, as it were. Now, Paul was never one to miss an opportunity. Here was a large crowd, and here was Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul thought this would be an opportunity to give his testimony. Now, would you think like that in that situation? It seems to me that only a person who is dead to self can think and act in this way. And so Paul asked for a chance to speak to his fellow countrymen, And such was the surprise of the commander that he gave permission for Paul to speak. Now, Paul here very wisely decided to give his personal testimony. There are few arguments so impressive as the personal testimony of someone who has met Jesus Christ. And in that situation, he's able to keep the crowd quiet for some considerable time as he gives his testimony. Now, this morning, I want us to learn some lessons about how to give our testimony to other people. Now, the first thing I want to say is that our testimony must be personal and firsthand. It's no use giving a testimony about what others have experienced of Jesus. It must be I. And did you notice in the reading that Paul says, I, I think at least 18 times in this testimony. But it was not to draw attention to himself. He's simply telling them of his own personal experience, his own knowledge of Jesus. A testimony, therefore, is a personal first-hand statement And usually a testimony is composed of three very simple parts. What you were like before you met Jesus, part one. What happened when you met Jesus, part two. And what he did with you afterwards, part three. And Paul follows this kind of a threefold pattern. And if you are asked to give your testimony, it's a good pattern to follow. Now, again, I want to say at this point, it's very important that you don't let your own testimony be someone else's or to try and model what you say on someone whom you have heard. Also, I want to say this, beware of painting yourself before your conversion as totally black or painting yourself after your conversion as totally white, as neither are true. You see, sometimes we think we can glorify God by overemphasizing the changed. But Paul is quite clear that before he met Christ, he was dedicated to God and he doesn't play that down. He says he was as dedicated to trying to serve God as the people in the crowd were. It was their zeal for God that had made them angry and Paul recognized this. And Paul recognised here that before people become Christians, they can be very sincerely dedicated to God, trying to do what they believe to be right, but of course, that doesn't make them Christians. Paul here is not playing things down, nor playing things up, he just states facts. And I want to make the point that a testimony must be concerned with facts. People will listen if you say, This is what I was, fact. This is what happened to me, fact. And this is what I have become, fact. In other words, a testimony must be objective and not merely subjective. And by subjective, I mean telling people how we feel. Paul avoids doing that so let me tell you the facts about the change that took place in Paul's life let's look at the three parts of Paul's testimony part one what he was before he met Jesus and Paul speaks with great sensitivity and appropriateness here his sensitivity is seen both in the use of the Aramaic language which the Jews spoke and in his polite address to the crowds as brothers and fathers. And the first part of his testimony is appropriate because he has been accused that he taught everybody, everywhere, against the temple, against the law in the Old Testament, against the Jewish people. Paul stresses here his personal loyalty to his Jewish origins and faith. Brothers and fathers, my people, here's a testimony that conveys straight away that he's not shouting across a great gulf. He's not shouting from an exclusive experience, but he is saying, I can identify with you. And that's a testimony which will have a great appeal. Brothers and fathers, I am a Jew, he says. And Paul then speaks of his Jewish birth, of his Jewish upbringing, about how he trained under Gamaliel in the law, uh, and how that uh, he was very zealous for the law, and how that zealousness was clearly seen and practiced in the fact that he persecuted the followers of the way, Christians, the followers of Christ. And there were many witnesses to this zealousness and this persecution. The high priest, the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And he tells the crowd that he went to extraordinary lengths to arrest the followers of Jesus, even traveling to Damascus to do this. Now, let me stop there, just go off on a bit of a tangent. Have you ever wished that you could start your testimony by saying, I was brought up in a difficult, godless family, that you led a godless life, then you became a Christian. That you, Do you wish you could start your testimony by saying, I was a million miles away from God and then I encountered God? Do you somehow feel that there is more power in that kind of testimony than simply saying you were brought up in a Christian home and then encountered God. Do you feel that this second type of testimony is somehow less powerful? And the fact that you were brought up in a Christian home might take the edge, the power, away from your testimony. Now, I want to say I've met many people who do think like this, and I want to say this morning, don't think like that. We got to give our testimony as a true one and Paul says I was brought up in a very religious home I had religion throughout my youth and he doesn't see this as a stumbling block Paul knows his audience and he starts where they are it's a bit like what I said two or three weeks ago that Paul about adaptability Paul is showing great adaptability in the way he opens up his testimony Here is Paul showing an awareness of where people are at and adapting his message in the light of that awareness. And when we do that, we will have a testimony with real power. To be able to present your experience in the light of those to whom you speak, to begin where they are, is crucial. Paul has been very wise, very sensitive. You see, the crowd are angry but they are angry for God's sake. And Paul senses this and tries to identify with it. Paul is saying, I did what you are doing now, attacking the followers of Christ, and I know how you feel. Now, secondly, let's go on to part two, where how he meets Jesus. At this point in the story, Paul begins to tell them about the circumstances of his own conversion firstly he says he was entirely it was entirely due to a divine initiative a divine intervention and not at all to any initiative on paul's part he talks about a light from heaven blinding him you see paul was the only one of the apostles to meet jesus after jesus had ascended into heaven where Jesus had revealed, had received the glory that he had once had before with the Father before the world was. And a voice speaks to Paul and addresses Paul and asks the question, why do you persecute me? Now this why challenges Paul to think through what he is doing and to produce a justification for it. But the really important word is that word me. Why do you persecute me? And it's that word that Paul fastens on to immediately. Who is this me that is talking? Who are you, Lord? And you see, there's a great dilemma here for Paul. Let me explain that dilemma. This is a supernatural light, this is the light of the glory of God. And yet, Paul. And yet for Paul, it can't be God, can it? Who are you, Lord? The reply comes, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus was a common name in first century Israel. And Jesus clearly identified himself in his earthly life with the name of his hometown. And Paul, at that moment, suddenly realizes that what the Christians had been teaching was true. Jesus truly had risen. He was who he said he was. He was the Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. Now, let me me ask you, what do you think Paul expected to happen next? If you've been Paul here in these circumstances, what would you have expected? To be struck down, zapped? But Jesus says, get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Quite an amazing statement, containing not a single rebuke, containing not a single bit of punishment, nothing but go and wait, and I will tell you what to do next. You see, Jesus was going to take command of this man Paul. And we know that this man who was against Jesus will now be forever for Jesus. The man who was a missionary against Jesus will be a missionary for Jesus. This man who preached against Jesus will preach for Jesus. And Two things I want to bring to your attention in this conversion experience. One, the mercy of Jesus and two, the majesty of Jesus. And no conversion is truly complete unless it expresses both the mercy and the majesty of Jesus. Mercy, meaning when you meet Jesus and you realise how you have treated him, how you have abused him all those years, and yet you find there is no punishment but only mercy. A clean start from the moment which brings from that moment which brings you new life. A majesty that you realise you've met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And from now on, he commands what you are to do. And from this moment on, Paul will call himself two things. An apostle, a messenger, because he had been sent by Jesus. And he calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. When I think about the temperament of Paul, I think that's what Paul's temperament needed. He would achieve great things providing someone else bossed him. Someone else made the most of his gifts, most the making the most of his experience, the most of his education, the most of his cultural background. Only if Christ was in control of those things could Paul be useful, but it did need a total surrender. And that's what Paul gave to Jesus. The third part of the testimony, what Jesus did with Paul after this Damascus Road encounter. After the Damascus Road encounter, Paul says he returned to Jerusalem where he receives a kind of vision, trance-like experience. And in this experience, this trance-like experience, he's told to leave Jerusalem Now, I'm sure Paul must have been very disappointed about God's instruction there after his Damascus Road encounter. I guess he must have thought surely the Jews would listen and believe what he had to say, especially because he had been well known for speaking against the Christians. And now he's speaking for them. Surely they would listen. But God says, no, they won't. And he tells Paul that he's going to be sent away to speak to the Gentiles. I think it's very important to understand why, in verse 22, the Jewish crowd reacted so strongly to this statement of Paul being sent away to the Gentiles. You see, in their eyes, making Gentiles into Jews was fine. That was okay. But making Gentiles into Christians, which Paul was doing, without first making them Jews, was an abomination to, in the minds of the Jewish listeners here. It was tantamount to saying Jews and Gentiles were equal, for they both needed to come to God through Christ, and they both came to Christ on identical terms through faith this for the average Jew was very very difficult here we have to be honest and say that if we do get the opportunity to give our testimony then then we have to be aware that not everyone will receive it positively despite all our efforts to be sensitive and appropriate Let's get to the conclusion of the story. There was one thing that saved Paul from certain death here in this crisis situation. And that one thing was his Roman citizenship. Again, going right back to the beginning of the sermon, God can use what we may call natural gifts, natural advantages for his purpose. This was not the end for Paul. You see, God had still more work for him to do. Amen.